0: But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh.
0: Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk Radio Show about Opera. Period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Creative Consultant Oliver Camacho. We're live on 89.3 FM WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago. Now, you want your voice heard, right? 847 866 wnur is the number in studio. What's your opinion on what we're talking about? Call us, 847 866 9687 We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. All right, tonight, Oliver goes inside the huddle with countertenor Justin Kim. The Korean-American has established himself as one of the most sought-after countertenors of his generation, having already collaborated with such prestigious conductors as Sir John Elliott Gardner. But first, it's the hometown team this week with Chicago's Third Eye Theater Ensemble. The company presents Daniel Crozier's opera... With Blood, With Ink, which tells the chilling and beautiful story of the life of Sor Juana Inés de La Cruz, the iconic 17th century Mexican poetess and nun. Stage director Rose Freeman and mezzo-soprano Rina Ahmed join us live in studio. And then at 9.20 p.m., it's the two-minute drill. All the things you need to know from the past week in opera land, plus our hot takes. Wow. Big show, Oliver.
2: It is a big show, and I hope that I'm going to take this moment right now to check that our guests can hear us. Can they hear us? Okay, good. Um, so I have to say, like, if you were listening to WNUR at 9.01 and you're waiting for our beautiful theme music, I don't know what that was. That was playing at nine oh one. Is
0: John Zorn, baby? Oh, it's
2: John Zorn. Okay. Well, the difference between John Zorn and Vodka Inferno is stark.
0: And John Elliott Gardner is very stark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A lot of sports to get to. God, oh, definitely. Cubs and the Nationals. Didn't somebody just
2: like break their ankle like I don't yesterday? Think so. Like one of those uh, quarterback people or one of those like no, uh, football players? No, no, no. Okay.
0: Tobias writes, Chiefs are at 5-0. and oh, Bears and Vikings <laughs> battling it out in a dreadful game. It's Soldier Field right now. Are we losing already? Uh, it, we, no, no. Winning 2-0. to zero. Oh.
2: Two? How do you get two? It's called a it's like safety. Like a scrimmage or something like that? It's, okay. It's
0: called a safety. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, look, I don't know what I'm uh, talking about, so. I, well, it's but what about the, na- the
2: Nationals about. and the Cubs are playing a- as we speak, and, no, and it's tied? No, no, The series no, no. is tied. It's over. It's over. Cubs, it's over
0: already? Cubs won 2-1. Cubs won. Cubs won to one. Oh, nice. Let's talk some
1: opera. <laughs> Here's your Cubs though.
0: <laughs>
1: How about we root for the home team?
0: Baseball season's underway. It is baseball season. Cubs win 2 to 1. Uh, hey, so glad to have both these ladies on the air again. Uh, Honored to be here. Hmm. Thank you, Rose Freeman. And she's the <laughs> stage director for the new show at Third Eye Theater Ensemble, along with in studio mezzo soprano Rena Ahmed
2: and executive director, right?
0: Artistic artistic director. Artistic director. Yes. Do you guys
2: have an executive yet? uh no okay although if
0: if anybody's
3: interested out there we're hiring <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we don't pay very much or at like all. anything at all
0: <laughs> but we would
3: love your ideas and
0: organizational skills you guys are hot out of the rehearsal room came up to the studio tonight thanks so much for hanging out with us yeah i
3: ran right here from uh actually it was our first uh staged run and uh, it, it was nice. Was it the disaster you expected, Rose? You no, know, actually, it wasn't bad, which, of course, as a staging director, I'm sure you can relate, just makes me nervous.
0: <laughs> you always wonder, like, when are the wheels going to fall off? Right?
3: This you has know? been a pretty, it's a pretty solid team. Uh, Jason Carlson's, you know, on at the helm, musically. And uh, everybody's just working their tushies off, so...
0: Daniel Crozier's With Blood, With Ink tells the chilling and beautiful story of the life of Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz. Why this piece here? Why this piece now? Rina.
4: All right. Well, honestly, I think that this particular piece could be presented at any time and be relevant. Because at the end of the day, it's a story about a woman who is fighting for her right to be heard and for her right to follow her passion. So I think that is very relatable to a lot of people. Um, But here we are in 2017, and, you know, at the beginning of this year, we had people all over the country and all over the world marching for women's rights. Um, So I think that's very relevant. And I hate to sound cliched, but in our current political environment, uh, we have an administration who has not been very friendly, shall we say, to I'm gonna
3: call him racist.
4: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
3: I'm gonna stand there and be like, he's been racist.
4: I was trying to be more political. I know, correct. and
3: that's why you're the artistic director and I'm the one yelling in the rehearsal room.
4: But uh you know, he's not uh, he's a racist and he's not very kind to our Mexican friends and, you know, I feel like as American citizens, well, he's, it's
2: important. He's, he's great with women, though. I mean, like no, oh yeah, nobody, oh, nobody respects women more.
3: Nobody, <laughs> yeah. of course. I, we thought we were having troubles with the binders full of women, <laughs> and
4: now <laughs> that was nothing. That was nothing. We're longing for binders. It full was of like
3: women. it was like sexism was like. Wait a minute, hold my beer, and came <laughs> for us. <laughs> um well, yeah, I feel like there's a lot said about you know the, Mexican culture. In the U.S., because we're so kind of you know, any culture is egocentric in its in its narrative and what it tells us. And I think sometimes we forget that these really prolific humans and this really prolific advances in society and advances in thought, both spiritual and literary and scientific, came out of other places in the world. And
4: Imagine!
3: Wow. <laughs> and and Sarwana and la Cruz is. One of those humans who was really prolific and did some really amazing things, and we want to highlight some of that.
4: Yeah, and sadly, I think not many people in this country know about her and I, know who she is. I didn't. In fact, even even some Mexican Americans <laughs> that are
3: yeah, some of them are in our cast are like we had no idea, but yeah. they weren't taught about it, so why right. would they know it?
0: Yeah. And, Part of the company's mission, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is to produce works with a. A social justice angle oh yeah oh yeah that's
3: that's a big focus of ours we truly try to inspire conversations about social justice Um, we don't think we have answers I don't I personally don't think that's theater's job is to provide answers and I include opera in that but we should definitely be inspiring those conversations and asking those questions of what is just and what would you do and what was the world and is the world and how do we live in that and work towards a more uh, just society and a, and a kinder society um, with ourselves as with the world.
0: It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. George Cedarquist and Oliver Camacho running the show tonight, currently hanging out with Rose Freeman and Rina Ahmed from Third Eye Theater Ensemble. We're talking about their upcoming show. It's later this month with blood with ink. Hey, I want to listen to a clip of, Of the show, and uh, you guys can tell me where this is from the show after we take a listen.
4: I hope it
3: can we sing along.
0: Excerpt was taken from the original production of the show, 2014, at Fort Worth Opera. I was reading about Crozier, and part, his music was being compared to that of Benjamin Britten. Hmm. Do you oh. do you hear that, Oliver, when you listen?
2: Uh, I didn't hear enough. To N- make yeah, that it's hard to say just so, on yeah.
0: that little snippet. Yeah. I guess there's something about the the woodwinds there, which is very Britten to me. I don't uh-huh. know.
2: So for those of us, for those people who don't know who Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz was, can you just sum up her life in like a minute?
3: Sure. Uh, So she was, uh, well, to answer your question about where we are in the opera on that... Let's start there. <laughs> All um, the questions.
2: All the questions. <laughs>
3: so, um, Sarwana was a woman. She was born um, without a legitimate father, quote unquote, uh, in 17th century Mexico. Um, and she was brilliant. She was reading at a very young age. She was obsessed with learning. She was breaking into libraries. Um, she was trying to get put into university, but it was the 17th century. And everyone was like, a woman in university? That's disgusting. Um, but she became part of the court in Mexico, and um, people were kind of dazzled by her. She was called the Phoenix of the Americas, um, and one of her her sponsors, uh, Maria Luisa, who is who you heard um, calling after her, um, helped get her work published in in Spain. Um, is one of the reasons she became uh, so popular. All her her poems and her plays and sonnets and letters um but she went into the convent um because marriage did not appeal to her i suspect for a myriad of reasons um and eventually the catholic church uh uh silenced her they they she she wrote a letter that was not uh, well received about the catholic church and what she was saying was actually a little bit dangerous at the time she was kind of inventing transcendentalism before that was Hmm. a concept um So I think it was just, you know, I I don't blame the Catholic Church for that, but they definitely did not like what she was saying. So they they silenced her and she took a vow of silence um, and she signed it in blood, uh, her own blood, um, which wasn't terribly common at the time, uh, but nonetheless dramatic. So hence the name with blood with ink. Um, And she kept that silence until she died. She became one of the the major caretakers of plague victims in Mexico after she took her vow of silence and of course got sick herself and um died
4: at a very young age. Yeah, she was like
2: 44 40, something. Yeah, like but that. she also was like the first like cookbook author of Mexico, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, she was um, she also wrote uh, about as many plays as Shakespeare did, and she would have the nuns play all the parts mm-hmm. um, in the convent, and they would put the plays on for um, kind of the local royalty uh, of the area mm. and um, for the common people. Um,
2: Sounds like a good summer stock idea to me. Right, I would yeah.
3: love to do to produce a Sarwana play <laughs> in its original Spanish. I would drool over that opportunity. Then have to go find a pile of money.
0: Rose, tell us what the production is going to look like and feel like.
3: Um, well, it's 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 a it's a memory opera, um, so it's it's told from Dying Juana's bed through Wecrium as the journey goes forward. Um, it's very lavish uh, because of the time period. Um, there's books everywhere, and I think it's going to be quite gorgeous. Uh, I'm not exactly in tech yet, so I always have a hard time explaining what everyone's come up with uh, at this time. But right now, things are looking absolutely stunning and and very lavish and 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 opulent. Um, and yet, at the same time, very uh, simple. simple. Yeah, in say. a way. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of the staging has become simple in in various ways. There's there's no standing and singing because it's it's a rose production. So I'm never gonna stand for that <laughs>
0: you look at the cast list on the website it's uh, thirdite.com is the website.org. dot uh, either, uh, either, oh, really? yeah. either one either one works links on our website wow <laughs> I'm embarrassed I apologize the, the cast looks huge now that's because some of the roles are, are double cast of course but it does are there are a lot of bodies on stage
4: there's eight people in the cast um, so are not in our cast but I mean in the show itself there's eight characters yeah. is what I meant to say so we have a cast of 15 because, as you said, we have doubles and we also have covers.
3: Yeah, and, and the prop theater where we're performing is not a large stage. So kind of the name of the game has been Don't Crowd Me. Um, it's been a lot of, of making those pictures look visually stunning mm-hmm. and having all those bodies on stage while not, you know, overwhelming anything.
4: But I I'm thinking about it now, and I don't think that any of the, at any time in the opera, all the characters are on stage at the same time. Huh. I think
3: her second, when she actually cuts her hand, they're all on the. Oh no, Maria Luisa isn't on stage.
4: Right. Yeah, you're right. So I don't think there's ever a moment where everyone is on stage at the same time. I don't think you're right. Unlike Dark Sisters.
0: <laughs> all the time. We were all on stage <laughs> all the time. And the show opens October 20th. It's got three weekends.
3: Yep. Three uh, 18, Friday, Saturday, and then 3 p.m. on Sunday.
0: We are going to step aside for one second here on Opera Box Score. You two can stick around for yeah. just a little bit more. Okay, great. Absolutely. We're going to uh, talk some opera headlines after the break. Everything that you need to know from the past Everything. week in Opera Land, plus our hot takes, of course, but it's only on Opera Box Score and WNUR
1: 89.3. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More, right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on
1: WNUR. This just in The Two Minute Drill.
0: Time now for the fastest headlines from Opera Land. One of the biggest cultural building projects in the country was sent back to the drawing board on Tuesday when the new leaders of Lincoln Center and the New York Philharmonic announced that they were scuttling a half-billion-dollar plan for a gut renovation of David Geffen Hall and seeking simpler ways to improve the lackluster theater. Maestro Nicola Luisotti, 55, is currently conducting San Francisco Opera's fall revival of Verdi's La Traviata, it's the final assignment in what has been a nine-year tenure as the company's music director. At the Metropolitan Opera this season, the company is having some of the non-singing female cast members, who in previous years appeared semi-nude in its racy production of Offenbach's The Tales of Hoffman, cover up considerably more. Why? Because the company saves money by doing so. Artists who shed their clothes earn an extra 200 bucks for every performance. In their first co-production collaboration ever, the Bolshoi and the Met announced plans today to jointly create new productions of Aida, Zalame, and Lohengrin, with performances to take place in New York and Moscow between 2019 and 2022. Music Theatre Wales has been forced to defend the casting of Caucasian actors in an opera set in a Chinese restaurant The Golden Dragon by Peter Etvush, based on a play by Roland Schimmelfenig, has a cast of five who perform multiple roles that are called Chinese mother, Chinese aunt, old Asian, and an Asian. Finally, on this day, Camille Sasson was born in 1835. That's your two-minute drill.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist and Oliver the Man, Camacho. That's who he is, Oliver Camacho.
0: I'm George Cedarquist. Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM, number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Hey, we're going to talk about opera headlines this week, but not by ourselves. We are talking with Rose Freeman and Rina Ahmed from the Third Eye Theater Ensemble. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. Thank you. For joining us here. The David Geffen Concert Hall, which was supposed to be the new venue for the New York Philharmonic, has now experienced this major setback. Geffen gave $100 million. Now, that was in stages. I'm so confused. I thought
2: this had to do with L.A., this...
0: This is New York City, baby. Okay, Yeah, New York City. And so now the New York Phil is saying, whoa, 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 we need to step back. And Patricia Borda, chief executive of the New York Philharmonic, said the turning point came when construction and design teams said in recent months that they could not guarantee that the work would be done fast enough for the orchestra— to lose its hall for only two seasons, so the what they wanted to do was going to take more than two seasons. Uh, should David Geffen be po'd by the reduction in the plans for this uh, renovation of the space at Lincoln Center?
3: Yeah. Well, if a, I don't know, I think <laughs> if a, a budget's a budget, and like if it's going to take more than two seasons. That means that they have to rent out another space. So that's going to go way over what that gift can contribute.
4: Well, I would also say, can you look at hiring another company that could do it within budget and in the time frame? Hire that
2: contractor. I mean, Yeah. (laughs) Go on Angie's list. <laughs> call, call some architects. Okay, we got $100 million. <laughs> we need to build. Well, here's
0: the can thing you about that. Can can do it in less million. than two seasons. $100 was supposed to be given in stages, $15 million up front, and the rest when the project hit these certain milestones. Allegedly, according to the article in the New York Times, Geffen was, quote, on board with the decision to change directions.
3: Well, then he didn't want to give out the money either. Like,
4: <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's like, yeah,
3: I'm not going to throw a hundred. Yeah. million dollars towards yeah. something that's going to crumble because it was rushed.
0: There's no question that Lincoln Center, which is, it's hit its, what, 50th anniversary, I think? Yeah, it could probably now, use a bath. It defin- well, it definitely needs a bath. It needs an oil change. <laughs> Poor it thing. It needs a big work. It a big yeah, change the air
2: filter. I noticed it's one of those things. You always forget about the air filter. It's like, oh. Then they show you the air filter. It's like, this is what your air filter looks like. You should have changed it. Yeah, It
0: mm-hmm. looks they, like a smoker's light. Yeah. They always go in the back room, though, yeah. to bring out the air filter. I think it's just a prop. <laughs> I, you be,
2: I, think, I think you're true. Because I never see them actually remove it from my car. That's what you I'm know? saying, dude. And That's they show you what a clean one is supposed to look like. It's like, see, you've been, you've been a bad
0: car owner. you
3: know? I don't know. I went to Burning Man once, and my car started sputtering and coughing somewhere in the mountains. And nice. they pulled out that air filter. It was I, not okay. How's you supposed to ride
0: a bike at Burning Man? <laughs> well, I had to no, get there just, somehow. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Nicola Luisotti leaving San Francisco Opera at... That's a big shift, in my opinion. I mean, he has really focused on the Italian rep, not surprising there, Puccini and Verdi specifically. He's done the lion's share of the conducting. Hasn't done a lot of premieres there. I I think that I would have expected him as the music director of San Francisco Opera to be trying to push the envelope a little bit more, trying to get more world premieres done, more new productions done. And he's leaving San Francisco to be the associate music director at the Teatro Real in Madrid. That feels like a sideways career move Mm, to me. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And plus with all the Catalonia exit stuff, you know, maybe Spain's not the place to be. But they have great food. (laughs) And like you get to have dinner at like like 10 o'clock at night every night, you know.
3: Yeah, maybe he just needs a break. You know, maybe he's like, "Oh, it's kind of cold and rainy here." Yeah, and plus, the <laughs> all he
2: summer. can't afford the real estate. He can't afford his apartment in San Francisco. That's yeah. true.
4: So, Maybe he's
0: tired yeah. of California wines. The Spanish yeah. wines, Spanish cool. wines are nice. delicious. Yeah. yeah, he's probably not being paid what uh, Ricardo Muti is being paid at the CSO, close yeah. to close to three million dollars. This might be a cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all that state subsidy—if it's not going to uh, you know quashing protesters and. Catalonia, then maybe it is going towards the Teatro Real. He'll be back to San Francisco. Company has engaged him for 2018 and 2020 with a repertoire to be announced. Now, this story coming out of the Bolshoi and the Met. First of all, Oliver, you said this was fake news.
2: Well, because your source was Slip Disc Norman Lebrecht's blog, and I had to find a different source, so I you're did... a
0: hater, I'm a lover of the blog. So <laughs> I... hey, we have to agree to disagree on that. Go ahead.
2: Um, I found a different source from the Straits dot com, whatever that is. <laughs> it's, um, it's
0: about as
3: uh, reputable as Slip Disc. Apparently, <laughs> this is the worst corroboration I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so. The Straits Time reports uh, or is reporting the press release uh, that came out apparently from Moscow it hasn't come out of the our side of the ocean yet. But apparently Anna Trepko is like the linchpin for a deal between the Bolshoi and the New York Met opera to produce three operas with the Bolshoi Ballet. Uh, that will star Anna De Trepko and ostensibly some dancing. <laughs> um, so one of them is Aida, which makes sense. She just did Aida in, was it Salzburg Festival? Salzburg Yeah, yeah. and I heard it, and it was, it was pretty good, I have to say. Muti was conducting. Salome, we, and we know that there's plenty of dancing in Aida. Uh, Salome, uh, I guess you can have like a...
4: The uh, Dance of the
2: Seven Veils. Yeah, but that's a one-person dance, so maybe they just... <laughs> Someone's hop- got a choreograph They're going to
4: dance yeah. around
3: her. I'm sure they'll add in some, like,
0: background dancers Yeah, and like craft. single ladies type of stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, it's yeah. true.
0: When, look, when I saw Zalame at the Deutsche Oper in Berlin, there were seven women doing the dance.
2: Oh, so each one, like, represented a veil, and, like, each one...
0: The women represented these, like, seven different ages that Zalame had lived through. So, like, the youngest was, like, eight years old, mm-hmm. and the eldest was Zalame in the present moment. But oh. that was actually really awesome. It was totally badass. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So was the youngest one naked on stage? Isn't that child pornography?
0: No, no, okay. no, no, no. It wasn't. I'm it wasn't, sure she was wearing like a about little about outfit. Okay, it wasn't like about that body. That's, body a, di- that's a different story in the two minutes. And the third
2: anyway. opera is uh, Wagner's Lohengrin, and I don't remember there. Oh yeah, being, that uh,
0: big dance in. V- yeah, Lohengrin I
2: don't remember the ballet in is Lohengrin. Is what I would be but saying. It, it could be that I don't know Lohengrin well enough to know where there's dance music. Is it in that, the so.
4: dance of the wedding march?
2: Oh, that could be it. Yeah,
4: I'm kidding.
3: Oh. I'm sure I'm a believer that you can throw dance into anything, though. Like you could just have some. But the Bolshoi
2: is like architectural dance. They are the like world's leading dance company, ballet. You know.
0: Yes, that is.
2: So for them to like want to come to the U.S. and do something like it's going to have to feature them. It's not like they're going to just send like one person over. You know, it's like it's going to be like a lot of dancers and lots of buns. You know.
3: Maybe they were cold. It's like the same thing from coming back, you know, leaving San Francisco for a while for Spain. They were just cold. We
2: just had um, (laughs) the Lyric, or there's actually two more performances of it, which has so much dance. They're doing the Paris version, which is like 90% dance and like 5% aria, you know?
0: Actually, in a way, it feels like the Lyric has pipped the Met at the post here because Lyric Mm -hmm. and Joffrey just announcing that collaboration. It's not an international collaboration. This is... Here's what A, I, I think inter-municipal is strange. municipal collaboration. Intermunicipal. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Thank you. Intra-municipal? Yeah. Th- this is what I think is strange about the timing of this announcement, is that we know right now that the Met is having problems financially. hmm Ticket sales at two-thirds capacity. Uh, firings of 20 staff could be as much as 50 over the course of the rest of this year. The Met wants to change the tune. So why would they not announce something positive like this right now? It feels a little smoke and mirrors to me. I'm not saying this is, this is fake news. I'm, I'm sure this is going to happen. But it feels like this is some very judicious well,
2: timing. The, at the end of the Straight Times article, uh, I'll read for you all. Uh, the Bolshoi is currently caught up in a politically tinged scandal as it prepares to stage a new ballet based on the life of Nureyev, uh, the Soviet ballet star who defected to the West. The ballet's renowned director, Kirill Sereb- Serebrenikov, is under house arrest on charges of embezzling state funds in a case many see as politically motivated after he criticized censorship of the arts under President Putin. Um, so
3: This actually happens, um, I won't say regularly in Russia, yeah. but uh, I was just recently traveling internationally and meeting with People who had worked with a large amount of Russian companies mm-hmm. and multiple artistic directors hmm. who, when were interviewed and talked about censorship, were like, oh, no, there's no censorship. We do what we want. It just happens to follow in state lines. And then a lot of them are now getting um, arrested or house arrested for misuse of state funds or embezzlement. Um, so they're not alone on yeah. that. Like there's a lot of artistic organizations in Russia that are getting attacked for that.
0: So I'm not surprised. So
2: jumping to the story about you want to,
0: I want want to sound off on this one a little more. Why am I not surprised that Anna (laughs) Trebko is at the heart of all this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, She's
2: like that Kislyak <laughs> ambassador. Like, <laughs> let, me, let, me, like, let me tell you a story. Pal, when, when, Paul Manafort. When, you're,
0: when you're a director and you're in tech and you're lighting the show, right? you're sitting in the auditorium and, there's, and the actors are up on stage. And there, there's basically two types of actors. There's moths and there's bats. <laughs> and the bats cannot get in their light to save their lives. And you're like, sweetheart, just take a couple more steps to your right. No, you're right. Okay, keep going. There, there's your light. Okay, And then there's the moths, who just get into the light, and they just know where it is. Anna Trebko is a social moth. She knows exactly where to be every single time. It's so tiresome, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I cannot tell you how tiresome it is. There's literally anyone else in the world, anyone else from Russia. Why can't um, Vorostovsky be the guy behind this partnership? No. Why can't he be on the, on the poster? For this
4: he's a little, he's unfo- a
0: bat. <laughs> no, unfortunately, he's got some well, he's sick health problems. He's he's moment. he's very yeah. he's very sick. That's yeah. that's true. I just ah, drives me up the wall. I will say that the directors they have engaged to do these shows Michael Mayer is uh doing Verdi Zaida, Klaus Guth is doing Strauss's Zalame, and Fela McDermott, the Englishman, is doing. Grant. fantastic directors. Don't know who's in the cast. I'm going to go really out on excited a limb and say Anna Netrebko. <laughs> what?
2: Because in all of them. In all I mean, three. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. And
4: she's going to dance. The She's the prima ballerina, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 you don't know. Maybe she took some dance classes. Get all was, thunder
0: thighs yeah. out there. Aww. <laughs> a she's a
2: beautiful woman. <laughs> You're like a Thunder th- thighs aren't necessarily I a bad thing. No. Are bad. you fat shaming Anna Netrebko? No, no.
0: Okay. I didn't say she was ugly. I said I said.
2: <laughs> you don't have to be ugly to fat shame somebody. You, you so speaking of, was... of of nudity, um, the Tales of Hoffman production coming up is going to have more clothing on it to save money. So the Met is is saving some bills, saving some dollars, by making the uh, Venice scene of Tales of Hoffman less racy. I saw the last HD broadcast of this opera, and I was actually pretty surprised how much skin was. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it was not like nipples or anything like that, but it was left me a lot of like, you know, uh, nude-colored, you know, uh, body stockings and stuff like that. Okay. So it's two hundred bucks a pop for a supernumerary to be partially clothed, and so they're saving, I don't know, how many hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars per performance by letting the women stay covered up. I'm sure that's what you guys are doing over there at Third Eye. Like, you make these uh, singers wear habits, so you save money that way, right? Yeah.
4: No, our costume designer is going to kill us with all the sewing she's had to do. I
3: know, she's exhausted. (laughs) Although, uh, Rena won't let me put them naked out on stage.
2: Hmm. I know. I don't want to see women's bits, but I don't mind seeing men's bits.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm okay with seeing all bits. I don't okay. really have a sexual preference, but I respect all bodies on stage. No,
4: Rose yeah. comes from burlesque, and I I'm I, always
3: trying to get him naked and sing at the to get same burlesque time. Burlesque yeah. opera. I, I did
2: see that uh, lingerie fantasy. Yeah, first I was
4: I was partially
3: behind that.
2: Lyric lingerie, what it was called? Yeah, you had lingerie. Lyric. You had a different name back then. Uh,
3: yeah. Did I? No, I think I was still Rose Freeman. Oh, really?
2: I thought yeah. they all had to have like pseudonyms.
3: No, I think I don't though. Cause well, because your
2: name is Rose, it already sounds like a hooker name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Rose
4: does have like twelve names though. I do have
3: okay. 12 names. Right. We're not going over my government you're, names you're, on air. Here's the thing
0: <laughs> about this story, though, is that this you start to go down a very slippery slope mm, when you're saying... A slippery pole? Yeah, just like that. <laughs> that we are gonna, We're going to compromise the vision, and we're going to save a whole bunch of money. Now, look. Rose is a director. I'm a director. Yeah. There are always compromises. You're always trying to cut a corner. What's different about this is that previously that was not the artistic intention of the piece. So now... Post the show has had was done some years ago. Oliver said he saw it on the HD broadcast. That was created by the director, that was signed off on. And now, after the fact, the Met just to save money is now changing the, wow. the conceit of the George piece. is
2: up on his haunches over here. Well, you can't you no, just
3: it. hire this? Is actually one of my questions is like, how was this decided where they were going to save the money? Yeah, like I'm a little confused on the math on that.
4: And yeah. that, did they actually go on record saying that this was why they made that decision?
3: Uh, yeah,
2: it was reported in Wall Street Journal, so I'm sure it's a well sourced article.
0: Okay, and the journal's angle would be the financial angle, yeah. I think, right? So that that yeah. does make sense. Just why wouldn't they
3: find? Uh, you can find performers that'll do mm. it for this different rate. Like, is it a union thing? Like, I'm not understanding I'd, why well, they have to it, give
0: them an extra 200 bucks to yeah, be naked. Yeah, I think it. I think it is a union thing, probably. But, but if
2: you just go out, like, to go into the cast and, like, find, like, the highest paid singer or, like, the second highest paid singer and just go out and shoot that person, you're saving money.
3: See, now Oliver's talking ideas here. <laughs> like, why compromise the and vision? And
2: let a young artist do it because, you know— the, they just want the exposure bills. Exposure yeah, money, there huh?
0: you go. The exposure money pays everything. <laughs> uh, we got to wrap this segment oh. up. Maybe we'll leave the musical music theater whales one for next okay, time. No, that, oh man. Kind of that was Rose the one I was dying, dying over. On, on that one. Know. I love I love talking about whitewashing and how it gets people in hot water. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to save it for next time. Hey, Rose Sad. Freeman, thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure. And Rena Ahmed, thank you as well for being on the show. Thank you for having us. With blood, with ink. By Daniel Crozier. It's at Third Eye Theater Ensemble. Opens October 20. Check out the link to their website on ours. Operaboxscore.com Hey, we're going to step aside for one second. And then after the break, Oliver goes inside the huddle with countertenor Justin Kim. Check out what he had to say about many Different things in this art form. It's Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on wnur.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847 866 WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847 866 9687. Talk to you later.
1: Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George and Oliver. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle.
0: Indeed. Opera Box Score on WNUR. 89.3 FM number in the studio 847-866-WNUR. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. This is the week when I get active on Twitter. I'm really (laughs) going to. Really? I know. I know, Oliver. I've said that so (laughs) many times and this is is it.
2: I would say learn Facebook first before you try to get on Twitter. I'm going
0: to let you do the Facebook yeah. thing and, I, and I'm going to do the, the the Twitter thing. Hey, um Viking still on top of the bears 10-9 by the way.
2: That's amazing. Okay, so uh the Monteverdi 450 cast just arrived. I know that their first plane just landed. Uh Justin Kim, the star of the Coronation of Popea, who's also featured in the other operas, uh but really is like the star of the third show, the one that happens this Sunday. Um He lives, uh, his family lives uh, in Palatine, which is a Chicago suburb. So he got here in advance of the rest of the cast to spend some family time. And he just checked into his hotel at like five o'clock this afternoon. I left work. I went to his hotel. I grabbed this interview. I'm so sorry about like the poor editing, but we did it as fast as possible to get it ready for the show. Uh, I ran out of tape. It's actually not a tape. It's an SD card. So the interview ends slightly awkwardly, but it gave me a chance to add in some sound clips. We're going to hear from Justin singing uh, the violin aria uh, from Tales of Hoffman and also um, a little bit of Parto, Parto from Clemente. Tito. Okay, well, I want to first of all welcome you to Opera Box Score. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you just like got to your hotel here in Chicago. No problem. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Northwestern University. <laughs> I did between 2007 and 2011. And then you went to the Royal Academy in London. Yeah. And uh, then you were doing gigs, and you somehow got into the. Academia Monteverdiana. Yeah, yeah. How did that happen? That you just like did? Did, did John Elliott know who you were? Or?
5: Um, so John Elliott watches a lot of a lot of YouTube videos. He listens to the radio all the time, okay. and that's how he discovers a lot of the singers. Yeah, he had heard about me, and um, when I found out that he was auditioning people for this project. Um, I was doing a Zingarelli opera with Zach Wilder um, in Heidelberg, Germany. And then Zach was like, oh, I'm going to go audition for this. You should totally do it too. Yeah, I went and auditioned.
2: So did you know you were destined for Nero when you did this?
5: Well, I was the only person who went there without any cover, and I still don't
2: have a cover. And yeah. how did that feel, like, to get that, to fi- find out that you were going to be doing this, Nero, with John A. Gardner, and all these other well, amazing people?
5: Anytime any time I get any kind of great news uh Mm -hmm. like this i try to think of it as the most uh impersonal remote thing that i can make it to be Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't affect me in a like palpitation and kind of nervousness yeah Yeah, i i try to just be removed from it and then um assess it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then prepare myself Mm -hmm. And then get into it afterwards. Okay. I, otherwise, it, in this business, yeah, <laughs> there are so many ups and downs and topsy turvies. Well, and... I mean,
2: I mean, people can read the reviews themselves, but you are getting amazing reviews, and this is yeah. going to be a great thing for your career. Yeah, yeah,
5: I'm. I'm very happy with the project. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, let's talk a little bit about this other. Thing that you're sort of known for, yeah. which is the Chichilia Bartley impersonation. What? <laughs> <is this> person? <laughs> yeah. um, can you talk about how that came up about and who helped you put that together? And I understand that even Bartley was like, gave you the blessing for it, like she loved it yeah. or something. Yeah.
5: yeah, she was very gracious and amazing. <laughs> um, so it all started when I um, was preparing to audition for college, mm-hmm. so senior in high school. And I was studying... And you went to high school here in Chicago? I went to high school in Palatine, Illinois. Okay. William Fremd High School. Yay, shout out. <laughs> and um, so I had a voice teacher there who was doing her doctorate at Northwestern named mm-hmm. Orna Arania. Um, she, when I told her, oh, I just want to audition for some like classical singing programs mm-hmm. and can you just pick me some arias to sing yeah. and she somehow knew that i could sing coloratura yeah. so she gave me uh, armate facet anguibus from the yeah. <laughs> but i was singing as a tenor yeah. and she said nobody knows this repertoire so just you can sing it in whichever voice but like sing it as a tenor so i prepared it and then i auditioned in northwestern with that aria yeah. And um, so when I went to the first day of my voice lesson with Teresa Brancaccio, she asked me questions and she, you know, like what the teachers do, they're like, where do you see yourself in four years' time? <laughs> and, like, what is your career plan? Yeah. And, who's your favorite singer? And, I told her, Chichilia Bartoli is my favorite singer. And, um, I would like to sing her, uh, Ajita mm-hmm. on the last day of my, um, Northwestern career. Mm-hmm. And, Terry, <laughs> she told, very kindly told me, oh yeah, so that's, Here's the thing: You're not supposed to like sing a female singer's aria in your octave, so that's one. And two, like I don't see your voice going anywhere like near this kind of repertoire. Or uh, she she just said like a bunch of things to just let me down easy and yeah. let me know that um, singing a bravura vivaldi, okay. Let me just take mezzo this. Mezzo a- aria. Let me
2: take this apart a little bit. Yeah. You got into Northwestern singing yeah. a Vivaldi aria in the wrong octave, right? An you an got octave into ter- you got into Teresa Bergantcho's studio, yeah. And in your freshman year, you had like a talk with her, yeah. And she dis- this is
5: the first day of the class, okay. like my voice lessons. Okay, with she her.
2: she discouraged you from from setting a goal. Um, well,
5: he- here's the other thing though. Right. I came in with a very difficult aria, yeah, but. I had literally had maybe five voice lessons in my life by that point. So I didn't have my breathing or diction or anything down. So she wanted me to leave that aside because she could tell that I'm a very, you know, egotistic person. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, she just kind of said, okay, let's take a step back. And then we're just going to work on technique and breathing and this for a while. And what we actually ended up doing was singing Karomio Ben for three months
4: oh man <laughs> yeah so
5: I think I sang it for my first jury at Northwestern mm. and um, everybody else was you know they had they are doing style their, songs and yeah, stuff like that yeah exactly <laughs> They're singing are singing I was like no. <laughs> yeah. Terry said mm, so we'll see about that on the first day and fast forward four years and this is the very last vocal solo class mm-hmm. of the year and that's when we do fun things yeah. and our event was all fucked up I think. Yeah. So, um, there was David Govertson singing Queen of the Night I think. In his uh, octave?
2: Yeah. Okay.
5: <laughs> uh, yeah, there were some soprano singing Nessun Dorma yeah. and things like that and I wanted to sing Agitata da doventi. And had you
2: ever experimented with your counter tenor? Or were you... Well,
5: equipped? by this uh, by... At that point, um, had I had switched. Okay. And so I s- kind of started making, um, well, experimenting with the counterturner voice mm-hmm. going into my sophomore year mm-hmm. because I had never encountered counterturners before I went to Northwestern. And mm-hmm. then we had Alex Etchman and yeah. Marco Santos yeah. in the post-grad, pro- um, graduate school. Yeah. So... I wanted to try it out over the summer when I was just relaxed and just driving back and forth from Schomburg, And um, yeah, Terry was very happy to experiment. And um, by the time I had to decide whether I was going to audition for grad schools as a tenor or a countertenor mm-hmm. um i chose countertenor because i like the repertoire better yeah <laughs> and yeah so my senior year i was like full on countertenor and um i did the agitata Duventi* with richard bouldry mm-hmm. um in a powdered wig accompanying yeah. <laughs> and yeah and then i just did it and i had my and, roommate and um, you wore a dress Oh, of course I had to wear this <laughs> And a wig. <laughs> I also won the Northwestern Drag Show my okay. sophomore year with my hip-hop dance group, Fusion. Okay. And then third year, uh, junior year, I hosted the NU Drag
2: Show. So uh, okay. I was...
5: I I knew how to do my face. And
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, let's talk about that. You knew how to do your face. You have this web series. Um, what is it called? Like, I Am Justin Kim. Oh, J Kim is Yellow. J Kim is Yellow, yeah. Yeah. Um, where you teach people how to do their makeup. Well, their, their not makeup just makeup, but
5: it was just random things that I wanted to try out. Yeah. Right? That also started my sophomore year because um, I was taking um, an acting class mm-hmm. because I was in the uh, music theory program at Northwestern. And we were doing comedy unit. And um, I just wanted to try out all the things that we learned from their like, slapstick comedy and like spit takes and mm-hmm. all these things. But... We don't, students don't really get the platform to do those things mm-hmm. um, for an audience. And I thought YouTube would, would be great. So I just started making videos. And um, I started making parody videos to impersonate other people. And it grew relatively fast. I think I hit like 10,000 subscribers within like three or four months. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so I was doing that weekly, um, like, a video, or two videos every, three videos every two weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And that was um, generating enough revenue to pay for my rent while I was at school.
2: Because there's ads on there? Yeah, Yeah.
5: Google. um, Yeah. When you hit, like, a certain number of views. Yeah. or, Or when you get your first viral video they contact you and they're like would you like to be a youtube partner and you say yes (laughs) (laughs) and then they send you checks every month
2: that's awesome um so i guess maybe that's what i want to how to wrap this up it's like you loved you decided that you loved Taylor bartley before you even started singing professionally yeah and somewhere in your heart of hearts you knew that you were attached to this repertoire, like this Baroque bravura repertoire. Mm-hmm. You're sort of a bravura personality. You have a uh, <laughs> you have a what? bravura appearance. <laughs> You're very stylish and like nobody's ever going to forget the way you look. You know, um, you have like shocking platinum hair <laughs> for hear, a Korean. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, uh, this sort and, of and me. memorable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you you found out within sport. I mean. College is a short experience. You know, you found out mm. in those four short years that you were a counter tenor and that you could do this thing. Yeah. And on the last day of school, basically, you like came out as a coloratura mezzo soprano.
1: Yes.
5: <laughs> exactly.
2: And now you are touring with Sir John Elliott Gardner doing the three Monteverdi operas. Mm-hmm. And you are getting ridiculously good reviews for it. And. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, that that to me is is like the takeaway from your experience. Like, it's about the self, isn't it? It's about like being true to who you are. Absolutely. And and doing it as well as you can.
5: Yeah, Yeah. because, you know, when you don't fit into a certain box um, growing up, um, it's really hard to get any kind of recognition, Mm -hmm. you know. And in high school, I would never get like the main lead role Mm -hmm. because... I am a trained dancer, so yeah. they would always give me a role that was more um that required more comedic timing or more yeah. dance. So I always felt like, "Oh, maybe I won't make it in this business because I don't get to do like the big main roles." Yeah. And um very early on I learned to accept rejection, and anytime <laughs> anybody came to me and said oh whatever you're doing that is useless or whatever you're doing that's never going to work i just smile at them and i say well i'll just make it better and see what you say the next time yeah and that's how i did it um at northwestern because i didn't do too many operas there um i did more musicals i think and it- as a tenor yeah
2: yeah okay yeah so were you singing both Fox at some point
5: I was, well, I was singing tenor in choir. Okay. Um, I was singing tenor in, yeah, the Ellis Miller Chapel choir. I sang as a tenor, but I did Baroque music ensemble as a counter tenor. And I did some musicals as tenor, but also I would get callbacks for like.
2: Did you sing in a Vespers both as a tenor and as a soprano at the same time?
5: Um, I think I might have. I think
2: I was at that. I was like, "Who is this person who's singing?"
5: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sang one of the duets yeah. as a soprano, and then I sang a tenor solo. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was at that. I can't believe that was you. Now that it's like all oh, making sense. Like, okay.
5: But yeah, like even at the academy, they wouldn't accept me as I am because my voice feels very comfortable in Mozart repertoire mm-hmm. and also bel canto repertoire. But they would just say, "No, nope, countertenors don't sing that. You need to sing Baroque, 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 yeah. Baroque, Baroque. Yeah. And I avoided Baroque music for like two years. Okay. But, you know, now I love and enjoy it again. Yeah. yeah. All right.
2: So maybe this won't make into the interview because we're already over time. But um, can you tell me a little bit about like the English system and yeah. about how they... You know, I know that a lot of their singers come from choir singing. right? And so it sort of affects the music making it affects the vocal mm-hmm. production. As an American who studied over there, yeah. can you tell me what that experience was like and if you felt maybe confined by it or if it helped you in your musicianship or something, you know?
5: Well, I must say that um, English singers, before they are... Technically trained, they become very fine musicians mm-hmm. because they come from choral scholarship backgrounds mm-hmm. at places like
2: Oxford and yeah, Cambridge, Cambridge yeah.
5: and King's, King's College, and all, yeah. all that.
2: And, and they look so cute in those videos for Christmas. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> they
5: are adorable, yeah. generally speaking. And um, when you when they first arrive um, at places like the Royal Academy. Mm-hmm. They haven't really done much besides doing weekly voice lessons Mm -hmm. and singing choral music all their lives. Mm -hmm. And now when they are 21, 22, starting their master's, that's Mm -hmm. when they start learning Italian, French, and German diction, (laughs) which is mind-blowing to me. So you had an advantage going in? Of course. Okay. Yeah, and also um, American students had acting training before. Yeah. We've already
2: had stage experience. Well, especially if you were doing music theater, you had right. No, yeah. Okay.
5: Um, but also, like I could see that they are really great musicians. They are amazing sight readers because they come from choir, and they have their advantages um, when it comes to countertenor voice. They are very rigid, rigid, and yeah. they can't really get out of the box. Yeah. So um, they don't understand that a countertenor might be able to sing sesto in like Clemenza di Tito. Yeah.
1: score
0: hey, show this week. Oliver Camacho, what do you got? Um,
2: just really quickly the Norma HD broadcast from this weekend was actually very good. Joyce DiDonato and Angela Meade, I should say Angela Meade and Joyce DiDonato sang their butts off especially the first act duet try to catch it on Wednesday and of course if you can make it to Monteverdi 450 this week at the Harris come here, Justin Kim sing Nero uh, on Sunday in Coronation of Popeye
0: That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant For Upper Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedar, who is asking you to continue the conversation about opera despite this being the best time of year for sports. We're back next Monday at 9 Central when stage director Amy Stebbins and composer Hauke Berheider return to the show. Bring your thinking caps for that one. These two are smart. Argo Radio is up next. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.